Please open your Bibles again to Galatians chapter 5. This week we'll be picking up with verse 22. We're going to spend a few weeks looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, beginning with verse 22. This is the Word of God, and it is eternally true. The word but makes no sense if you don't read what comes above it. It has been contrasting, you know, the old, uh, the old teacher exam question, compare and contrast. Well, here God's Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul has been comparing and contrasting uh, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And so having gone through the works of the flesh, he turns now to the fruit of the Spirit. And this is why the hinge word but... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. This is the Word of God, and it is eternally true. You can say whatever you want. I like any action on your part. Yeah. That's right. Yep, I do like amens. Now, this morning we're going to begin to study the fruit of the Spirit. And it is, we'll see this morning, it is the habit of Satan to uh, do everything he can to keep us from being fruitful. And part of the fruitlessness in my life is being very fearful about this text because I didn't want to be seen by my congregation as lacking the fruit of the Spirit. And so, similarly to a few years ago, preaching 1 Corinthians 13 on love, you know, it's pretty indicting to go through the love chapter and to see my failure and then to think about preaching it. Well, the fruit of the Spirit, it's intimidating to go through the fruit of the Spirit and to see how much it's lacking in my life. And so this is a good way for Satan to keep me and you from fruitfulness because I'm intimidated by the text and so I don't preach it and I don't live it and you don't live it. And uh, so this is kind of like the cross in the face of the vampire this morning. Um, we're going to have at it. And uh, it will be a conviction, I trust to you, as much as it is to me. This last week, our family had a little exercise at the dinner table one night. And that was that uh, we began to ask each other, what is your least fruitful area of the fruit of the Spirit? Which fruit would you like... Uh, would you like us to pray for you to have? And we allowed each other to, to, to help define what was the fruit of the Spirit we were most lacking. Now, with me, um, I, think it was, I think it was love. And with Mary Lee, I think it was gentleness. Now, of course, that's a joke. Um, I'll give you a second to think about what it would be for Hannah and for... Taylor and for Mary Lee and for me. Well, with me, you could pick any number of them. 
uh, I happened to pick patience, I think. And Taylor was very much in agreement with me about that. <laughs> um, I won't tell you what theirs were. Mary Lee's certainly was not gentleness. Mary Lee is gentle. Uh, many was the occasion when our children were very grateful that God had put her as well as me in our home. Um, now, in your home, in your marriage, what are the fruit of the Spirit that you are lacking? If you were to single out this list, which fruit is most lacking in your life? What one would you choose? And then if you were to ask your wife whether she agrees with you, what one would you choose? And by the way, we have this worse than anybody. And it only messes up a couple words each song. So, just to say a positive word about the backboard. Okay, so here are the fruit of the Spirit. So what one do you think? Love. Do you love? Is this one that people would say is characteristic of you? How about joy? Remember Lewis's autobiography, spiritually, called Surprised by Joy. And what about peace? Oh, man, that one, it's hard to even talk about today because there's such a perverse, evil, sinister counterfeit in our society. It's just so pathetic. Nothing has messed the church up than our society's view of peace. Bob Dylan has it right. He says, peace is the moment that you stop to reload your rifle. And that's about it in our society. The way that pluralism and tolerance and all that gunk that the university has used is a charade and a counterfeit for peace. There's no peace at all. We'll get into that. Peace. Do we have peace? How about patience? I thought this week as I was meditating on the fruit of the Spirit, I thought, you know, what would be funny would be to illustrate the entire fruit of the Spirit by different, by different traffic problems in the city of Bloomington. You know, like which, which set of roads leads to peace in this community? And which set of roads lead to patience in this community? I would say any east-west artery is the best thing to, to teach yourself patience. Right? Now, what the north-south arteries do, I don't know, because they generally work a lot better. Okay, love, joy, peace, patience. Behind the wheel of a car. Okay, we get done praying. At our, at our table. Actually, I don't think we ended up praying that night. Taylor had basketball. I'm on my way over to basketball, right? Going up the bypass. Now, the bypass has to be close to, to tap road and that whole thing for frustration in this community. You all know what the bypass is, right? So we're on the bypass. We're late for, for, for practice. And... And what did he say? Speed bumps. 
Yeah, speed bumps. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's put speed bumps into the list. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> My friend, the judge, says to me, there are two ways of handling speed bumps. One way to handle speed bumps is to go twice the speed limit, and the other way is to honk. Which do you do, he says to me. <laughs> okay, so I'm on the bypass, and I'm behind this car. And this car's not going 45, which to me would be borderline irritating. It's not going 40, which would be irritating. It's going 39. That's very irritating to me. This exercises my patience. We've just confessed our need, right? So I sit behind this car, and then there's no car coming, and I decide, no, I really shouldn't pass on the bypass. It's a passing zone, but, you know, it's kind of rude to do it on the bypass, you know? And so I sit there, and then, <laughs> and then I came up with all the reasons to Taylor about why. <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> and then I say to him, I didn't have patience, did I? He kind of laughed. No, you didn't. Kindness. You hear Steve Martin go, kindness, kindness, goodness. What about faithfulness? and gentleness. Now, we admitted again at our table that all women are by nature more spiritual. Because if you look through that list, it seems like a lot of those things come naturally to women. Women are naturally loving, naturally joyful. I know some of you are laughing at that. Naturally peaceful and patient. I mean... How can God give women the task of nursing without giving them a concomitant psychological ability to put up with it? It generally is true that women are more patient than men. And it makes sense. Kind? Yes, women are kind. The definition of kindness. Goodness? Of course. Every man knows that every woman is good. That is what it means to be a woman. She's good. Now, my, my daughter's looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> but that's what we think of you. Ask your husband. He'll tell you. He thinks you're good. You've even fooled your, your father. All right. And then faithfulness. Women are faithful. And gentleness. Women are gentle. Mm-hmm. And self-controlled. Well, about the time that you get to the end of self-control you realize that that one's sort of the, 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 the cleanup batter. You know, anybody that got through the ones before it is going to fail at that one. You know, women are going to feel their complete failures at self-control, and so are men. So self-control hits you if you got away with all the rest of them. And then against such things, there is no law. Now, this morning, I want us to begin this study of, of the fruit of the Spirit by focusing on, and you won't be surprised to know that I want us to focus on one word, right? And you'll think that the word that I want us to focus on is love, right? Because it's the first fruit of the Spirit. 
But that's not what I want us to focus on. I want us to focus on the word fruit. (laughs) Because fruit is the rubric within which all of this is communicated. In other words, it's the foundation for the individual things. Each one of these is a fruit taken combined. They are the fruit. All right. And so the whole thing works on the basis we all understand that that fruit is good. And I'm not convinced you believe fruit is good. And so I thought a lot about this issue of fruit. And there are a lot of ways that we attack fruit. There are a lot of ways that we, I'm sure, pay lip service to the goodness of fruit, but don't really believe that it's good and don't really give ourselves to bearing fruit. Now, what is the most obvious way that um, what is the most obvious way that we pay lip service to fruit? How do, we, how do we pay lip service to fruit? In other words, you know, um, it's always our habit to make a big show of giving to God what he wants, right? What he's commanded. And so we make a big show of giving him fruit, right? Because we know fruit is good and we know he wants fruit. And so we, 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 we give him fruit. All right. Remember Kierkegaard's little uh, allegory where he talks about how, uh, you know, God desires Christians and and. He says man's knavish interest is to give God what he desires and show, but to deny him in fact. And he says so. He says it's like a man that likes nuts and his servants go out and they collect tons and tons and tons of shells that have no meat inside them and pour them on top of them and and say, look at what we've brought you nuts. He says, well, this is the way we are. God wants Christians. And so we go around and we make as many Christians as we can. He says, as a matter of fact, it would be great if you end up making the fact that you're a man and the fact that you're a Christian, one and the same, because then everyone's a Christian. So you remove all the obstacles to being Christians so that being a man and being a Christian is the same thing. You pour on God all the men, you define them as Christians, and look at what we've done. We've brought you what you want. God, lots of Christians, you see. Now, that's a pretty good analogy for America. You'd think he was writing from America. He wasn't. All right, so how do we present fruit to God? Making a big show of it without giving it to Him. Well, David and Stephen and I have been talking about this for the last year. We've been thinking about it a lot. The issue of fruitfulness. And the way we do this is how? Well, we end up saying to God, look at our missions budget. You know, those people over there have our money and are producing fruit for you, God. You know, we have crusades, you know, that man up there is producing fruit. Look at them. The buses will wait, you know, you know, Uh, we, we go out and we ask people, do you know where you would go if you died tonight? You know, and 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 we and, and we produce fruit. Right. But what is fruit? Is fruit something that David Wagner and that the Boatos and that the Weeks do over in Africa and the Philippines? Is that what fruit is? A lot of us, the only thing we know about bearing fruit for God is the fruit of the missions budget of the church that we attend. And the closest we've ever come to bearing fruit is maybe the time that we invited somebody to go with us to a Franklin Graham crusade. 
Now, I'm not denying that missionaries and evangelists do produce fruit. But is this what the Bible means when it calls us to bear fruit? You know, I think a lot of us really don't believe that bearing fruit is a good thing. Think about this. When Adam... Well, go to your Bibles, and would you look with me at Genesis? Turn to Genesis chapter 2, and begin with verse 16. You know, one of the things that really irritates people about me is that I like to be close to you when I'm talking to you, and... So I hope you won't mind that I'm like walking down here instead of up there. This is actually natural with me. If I could, I'd be right in the pew with you (laughs) talking to you like this. (laughs) I'm like an Arab. I like, you know, to be close. (laughs) I like to talk close, you know. All right. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree... Of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, now, what did the serpent say? The serpent was more crafty. Chapter 3, verse 1. Than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, his God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, what? You surely will not die. For God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so right at the very beginning, God desires fruit, but he forbids one certain fruit of a tree. He says they will die if they eat it. Satan comes and Satan says, no, you will not die if you eat it. So here you have right at the beginning life and death. Life standing for fruit, death standing for fruitlessness, right? Satan absolutely contradicts God to Eve, right? And it's it's all engaged right there. Will Adam and Eve bear fruit for God or will they die? All right. The evil one always promises fruitfulness in life, but he always gives death. God promises life. In John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and may have it abundantly. Now, one of them is fruitfulness. The other is fruitlessness. One of them is life. The other is death. One of them is abundant life. The other is Death and hell and destruction. Now, this is always what we're dealing with. You know, you can never be in a demilitarized zone as a Christian. So here we have abundant life and fruitful life promised to Adam and Eve. And this is the theme all through Scripture. And when we come to the fruit of the Spirit, it's just more of the same theme. God has come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Now, what is abundant? If I held out a bushel of grain to you and said abundant, would you have a clue? You'd think fruitfulness, right? Isn't that what abundant life is? It's fruitful life. And so what does Satan give us? Satan gives us hell, death, and destruction. Abundant life is fruitful life. Let me get more specific. 
Abundant life, fruitful life is cows that calve. What happens to the farmer who has a top-notch herd of dairy calves? And all of a sudden, they no longer are able to produce calves. What happens to his profitability? I know, you know, it happened to Don Jarrett. It was stray voltage. And for years, his production was absolutely destroyed. He had out the rural electric co-op people. They couldn't find any stray voltage. They changed feed. They changed everything they could. And then finally, after God put them under discipline for a few years, they found a stray voltage. And the cows began to hold their calves. They didn't cast them anymore. And he had cows that calf. It is apple trees that set their blossoms and bring in many, many bushels of apples. It's tomato vines that are weighed down with big boys. It's rivers that are teeming with spawning salmon. And the river is so full of them, and I've literally been there, that you can walk across the river on the back of the fish. That's nature. It's birds nesting with eggs under their bellies. It's young mothers with hands on their stomachs feeling their babies kick and churn. It is churches with membership classes filled with new believers. It is home Bible studies with new members that nobody knows who are loved from day one. It is fruitfulness and this is God's plan. Now, of course, it's difficult for a woman to be pregnant. I've talked to a few recently who tell me when, 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 when it's going to be time. It's difficult for a small group to be fruitful. Oh, please, just at the time when we get along with each other and we have a nice cozy home, what happens? Dad comes along, takes his jackboot, kicks us in the rear. We're thrust out the front door into another small group and new people are brought in that we really don't like. We don't know their patterns yet. They bring gnarly food. It's Cheetos every single day. (laughs) Actually, come to our group. I like Cheetos. (laughs) All right. What about the church? People sit in in your chair. You know, this this is the place that David and Carol sit. And new people will sit there. New people will have taste in music that we don't like. And we'll have to love them. Oh, no. You know? New people will teach our, Sunday, our child Sunday school class and he'll come home complaining. You know? All of creation was made to bear fruit and to bring out new life. And God himself is fruitful. Now, how would you think of God being fruitful? Again, don't think of the obvious things. Have you ever thought of the creation of the universe as the fruitfulness of God? Does God bear fruit? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about the universe being the fruitfulness, the fecundity of the Trinity? Huh? That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit bore fruit. (laughs) That out of the abundance of their love, they brought forth all of creation. That God said, let there be light, and there was light. (laughs) Now, you know what I'm thinking about? Why am I laughing? Some of you are perverse enough maybe to be able to predict it. Well, I'm thinking about a, a father 
who has a will. And he says, let there be a child. <laughs> and there's a child. And do you understand this? This is how God made us. Edwards says that every time we look at any of the tiniest parts of creation, we should think on the character of God. You know? What do you think when you see nature being fruitful? Do you think of the character of your Heavenly Father and the way that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit exist in harmony and love with each other? Do you think of fruitfulness when you hear, God so loved the world, God so loved the world that He gave? Do you think fruitfulness... That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but should have everlasting. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, again, it's this theme of fruitfulness. What do you think it means when it says that the world through him will be saved? Do you think of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bearing fruit? Do you think of the cross? As a tree, you know, planted in the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf doesn't wither, everything it does prospers. The tree. In Romans 8.29, it says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be what? Memorization of Scripture. Anybody under 16 know what comes next? It's under 16. I hear that voice and it ain't under 16. <laughs> Let me read it again. If there's anybody under 16 that gets it, I'll give them a prize. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son so that... <laughs> Right on, Elliot. Did you hear him? Now, have you had him memorize that? So he just knows it. Have you had to memorize that for school? Oh. So then how come Taylor didn't know it? Doesn't he go to school with you? <laughs> okay. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Fruitfulness. You know what is one of the most disgusting parts of this world we live in? <laughs> they can't have the positive without having the negative. Always think, how do we counterfeit the work of God? How do we counterfeit this theme of fruitfulness? Well, the principal way we do is that we make a big, big, big show of giving God what He wants while denying Him anything that He wants. And nothing is more indicative of that than the industry of pornography in Hollywood. Big, big show. How would you ever have a Seinfeld episode that didn't revolve in some way around fruitfulness? Now, of course, it never revolves around fruitfulness. Their fruitfulness is... Is, is perversity, right? But, I mean, it, it, it's about sex all the time, you know? Where would Seinfeld be without sex, right? But it's never fruitful sex. 
I mean, otherwise it wouldn't be funny. It would be life! Which is the one thing that never happens in Seinfeld. Have you ever thought about that? How is it that they get you to watch it? They're so inane. They're so fruitless. They're so sterile. They're so, so secure and safe in their death, hell, and destruction. It's what Seinfeld is. It's what Woody Allen is. I mean, you, you understand. This, they got you on this hook. You like their culture. And it's completely sterile and completely fruitless. And you think it's funny. But for all the wrong reasons. You think it's funny because it matches your life. You should think it's funny because Satan is hilarious. Because he's done. He's dead. He's, he's, he's absolutely damned and doomed. And yet, y- y- the whole world goes after Seinfeld because it's, it's pornography. It's all the talk about sex and all the talk about love and significance and higher meaning and, you know, the posturings and, and everything that you can have without marriage and without fruitfulness and without babies and without breasts and without any... Oh, yeah, 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 there are breasts, but they're sterile. And you have to pump them up with silicon because they won't have milk. I mean, come on, you guys. You can watch this stuff day in and day out, and I'm supposed to be ignorant of it? (laughs) Oh, pastor, pastor. This is the one place we don't want our pornography. (laughs) Well, here it is, guys. Here it is. This is what they're doing to you. Do you see it? They make a big show of breasts and of wombs and of sex and all this stuff, you know. And guess what? It's sterile. There's no fruit. Make a big show of giving God what He wants. You know, where's the plot of any opera and any movie and any television show without sex? But it's never, ever, ever fruitful sex. It's looking at your neighbor with lust in your eyes. You know, what desperate housewives, yeah. Now, of course, it's everybody else that watches this. I won't say the word and the elders will be thankful. Everybody else watches this. Okay. Or this blankety blank. Okay. Not us. We don't do it, you know. We're pure. We're home meditating on bearing fruit. All right, all right. I'll stop preaching and start teaching again and you'll be more comfortable. (laughs) Come on, you guys. Come on, be biblical. God has commanded us again and again and again in Scripture to bear fruit. And if you want to cherry pick and say, well, the Bible says that uh, you're supposed to go into all the nations, making disciples of all men, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And, And there's our fruit. And you neglect to make your wife pregnant. You neglect to give your body to your husband. You neglect to get married. You say, oh, well, you know, I have my destiny. You know, big show of honoring God. I have gifts that I have to develop. You know, (laughs) big show of honoring God and you don't give him fruit. You say, oh, yes, but he wants fruit of souls. I say, yes. And the eunuch will bear fruit for God. That's what our scripture text said this morning. Right. Okay, so God will use eunuchs. All right. I'm not denying that. 
But if we make a big show of spiritual fruit to God and we deny Him physical fruit, we're denying what He's put at the heart of creation. God has put at the heart of creation husbands and wives that love each other and out of the unity of the marriage bed comes fruitfulness. And out of the fruitfulness of their biological children comes what? Comes the propagation of a godly seed. Read it in Malachi. This says what, that's what God wants out of a marriage bed. This last week I got an email from a friend. Somebody, one of the students in, in, in the pastor's college. He's talking about a trip he took to Uganda this summer. I remember years ago that there was this man that was riding the top of the wave of theologians. I mean, he was up there as a theologian. And one day, guess what? You wouldn't believe it. This man riding the wave of theologians left everything and moved to Africa. Now, that's a waste. Africa, right? Well, this guy from our pastor's college had just been over in Uganda doing evangelism with this man. This man is now, I would guess, in his late 60s. I'm not sure about that. Um, but he married late. Now, I know this man personally. All right. He married late. All right. And guess what he's doing with his wife? I mean, no, not that. But that, guess what they're doing? They're having babies. How foolish for Jill Crum to have babies so late in life. You know, she had to take an injection, what, every day or every week? What was it? It was every day. Okay? To have a baby. What a waste of a life. She could have been doing important things. She's not dumb. She can write. She can teach. She can do all kinds of things. This man was talking with these students that came over to help do evangelism for a time. And you know what he told them? He said to them, you know, he says, I don't want to deny my wife the fruitfulness that God has made her for. Because they asked him, why so late in life? You're having children. What, what are you doing this for? I don't want to deny my wife the fruitfulness that God has made her for. His wife desires children and he gives them to her. And he sees that as godly. So you won't be surprised to know. Every time he goes out of his house, he's surrounded by African children. And you know what he does? He goes up to them everywhere, all the kids, and he gives them tracts and he teaches them about Jesus. And he's just irrepressible. Now, is there a connection between him wanting his wife to have the desire of her heart and bearing fruit and him everywhere he goes trying to bear fruit for God? May there be a connection, any connection, right? We should pay honor to whom honor is due. You want to know his name? All right, I'll tell you. His name is O. Palmer Robertson, and I honor him. And I honor his wife, and I honor Africa. Africa, making a, making, putting us to shame. Africa hasn't forgotten the blessing of fruitfulness. Why is the Western world dying as it's Christian? Why is there a birth dearth? No, we can't make a big show of doing evangelism, of believing in missions. We can't make a big show of doing door-to-door evangelism and evangelism explosion. We can't make a big show of inviting people into our small groups and into our church if we have refused to give our wounds, and I'm not speaking figuratively, to God to produce the fruit that He desires from them.
And you know that this is a theme for me all the time. And the reason it's a theme is I invented perversity. It's not that you young people are asking questions that I simply can't get my brain around. I taught you the questions you're asking. Why bother get married? Why bother having children? Aren't they a nuisance? Aren't they inconvenient? I invented those questions. I understand the perversity that Satan entices you with. I know that Satan causes you to blip over every single command in Scripture that says, be fruitful and multiply. I know that when you read Psalm 1 and it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not after the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scoffers. Okay? For he shall be what? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. His leaf shall not wither. Everything he doeth shall prosper. Not so the wicked. You see, this is nature. It screams it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit will be fruitful. And if you want to look at the fruit of the Spirit and you want to blip on into all the goodies, all the charisms, all of the graces of the Christian life, don't you dare pass over the fruit. Because that's the assumption under which you will desire any of the charisms, any of the graces, any of the fruit. You cannot have a life that denies the goodness of fruitfulness and desire the fruit of the Spirit. If you do not accept the teaching of Scripture that God desires that you propagate a godly seed in your bed, if you deny the intrinsic connectedness of the marital bed's unity and its fertility, all right, how do you think that you're all of a sudden going to blip on in to having a positive view of fruit when it comes to the charisms and the graces and the fruit of the Spirit? You're denying fruitfulness everywhere else. You won't adopt kids. You won't think about marriage. You won't think about your womb with a godly way, but you will think about your heart with a godly way. And of course, this is evangelicalism. It's always about the heart, never about the body. The big show of giving them nuts and nuts and nuts and nuts, but no meat. You understand? You know what I think would be the most beautiful indication of godliness in this church? As if all of us became as stupid as my uh, daughter and her husband. You know? Month after month after month, we began to send couples over to Ethiopia to bring babies back. Oh, no. That would really be missions, wouldn't it? The propagation of a God we see. Being like God in adopting many sons and daughters. Okay, now, how can I love you in such a way that you feel like you're being loved on this subject? I'll tell you this. I didn't have children because I thought I had the patience and the kindness and the gentleness and the self-control to be faithful to one wife and day after day after day come home to children and provide for them and discipline them. It was impossible for me to do that. I did it. Why? I did it because I knew that's what God wanted. And that's always what it's about. You walk by faith. 
You don't have children because you think you can afford them and you have the character traits that make them available. You don't bear fruit as a church because you think the elders are, are you know, ready to handle a uh, hundred new people and all their problems. You know, a woman doesn't get pregnant because she thinks giving birth will be so much fun. What? We walk by faith. We give ourselves to God and we confess our faith by having a fruitful sex in our beds. Again, you can talk about this and think about it and fantasize about it everywhere else in life, but I'm not supposed to say it. (laughs) I'm supposed to be the one thing in life that's completely disconnected with what you give your life to the other six days a week. Uh Uh-uh, I won't do it. And so, you need to walk by faith. In your marriage, you need to give yourself to the bed with abandon. With a faithful abandon. If you're a Christian wife who is not giving your body to your husband, shame on you. You think sex is dirty? That's because your sex is fruitless. It's all in your brain. Give him your body. It's an act of worship to God. You're a husband that won't let your wife bear fruit. How dare you denigrate this woman that God has given to you. You're a small group that won't let anybody inside your borders that you don't know. Anybody that's gnarly, how dare you use your small group to justify your selfishness? You don't want somebody sitting in your pew Sunday morning. You don't want somebody bringing in music that you despise. How dare you use the church to further your own pride? You don't want to be married. Brothers and sisters, we have a choice. And we either believe that God has ordained fruitfulness because it comes out of the character of His love. And so we give ourselves to it. And all our inadequacies and weaknesses and insecurities and fears, you know? Or we are a woman. Hear us roar. And numbers too big to ignore. Woman? That's woman? That's not woman. I'll tell you who woman is. <laughs> There's woman. And she's looking down. She was looking at me, but she's looking down now. Because she knows it's Ann Wagner. That's woman. She inspires me every time I preach. Because she's woman. Do you understand this? She's a woman. And she's what God intended. She's quiet. She could have gone to any medical school in the country when she graduated from IU. She didn't tell me this. <laughs> and what'd she do? She she just squandered her stupid life. You know? She's home making babies, having babies. Her husband gets depressed every time. He feels the weight of the world descending on his shoulders, and God bless them. From the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Anne. 
And we thank you, Father, for Tim and for O. Palmer Robertson. We thank you for David and Catherine and the fruitfulness of their home. We thank you for David and Kim. We thank you for Heather and Doug. And Father, we thank you for all of those who loved us when we were lying in the ground naked with blood covering us and who picked us up and washed us and loved us and who brought to us who brought to us Jesus Christ, who taught us of Him, Him who is meek and humble of heart, and we found